And good day, everybody. Welcome on in. Episode 140, Talking for Hours podcast and YouTube show. Been waiting to talk again to John Schaefer, Extra 1360. John, thanks for hopping on. Yeah, Ben, thanks for having me, man. I, I enjoy what you're doing on uh, on YouTube. I appreciate your support of us on Extra 1360 and our YouTube channel as well. So happy to do it. Yeah, so before we get started this episode, everyone is presented by Gaglion Bros, famous cheesesteaks and subs. You can visit their website, gaglionbros.com, to view their entire menu located at Petco Park during the season, uh, located Point Loma Sports Arena. So go check out them, both of their locations, and then obviously at Petco Park, great cheesesteaks and garlic fries. Uh, but so let's just get right started here. So obviously earlier today, A.J. Pollock was dealt from the Dodgers to the White Sox and something I wasn't really expecting. What are your thoughts on that initially and for my initial takeaway from this is that the pot, that the Dodgers end up going after Brian Reynolds now because they view Chris Taylor kind of as that better utility piece, kind of like the pro, uh, Padres view Profar. Wouldn't that be unbelievable, by the way? And we kind of said, I joked about that yesterday, uh, you know, on the wrap-up show that, watch, the Dodgers will make a run at Brian Reynolds. It didn't really make any sense. I was joking when I said it, but I did think that there was a scenario where Brian Reynolds could end up on, like, let's say the Giants or something like that. I mean, I, I kind of think that the Dodgers are in such a position of depth that they're capable of doing anything, right? I mean, you look at the depth of their rotation and bullpen. You look at their batting order projected in this upcoming season, and I wouldn't put anything past Andrew Friedman, who has really done a – I hate to say it. I mean, you look at the proofs in the pudding. I mean, I, I, I wish it wasn't the case, but he's putting himself in position where – it's, they're a roadblock for the Padres, right? They have been for the better part of a decade. It's one thing when the Padres were rebuilding, but now in this quote-unquote window, they remain this this roadblock. Now, I don't I don't know if what this deal means is that they're in on Brian Reynolds, but I wouldn't put it outside the realm of possibility that they're in on Reynolds. Here's the thing with the Dodgers. To your point, they've got a versatile they've got a versatile group of position players they can play in the outfield right now. So technically, they've got like three outfielders maybe on their forty man right now, but they have like five because they have guys they can play the infield. And the outfield, I think, is a smart trade. I mean, it's a it's a costly one, um, but I think it's a smart trade. It shores up the back of their bullpen. They understand they're they'll be playing out in front of a lot of teams. Their bullpen has been a huge premium for them, so I, I think it's a, a pretty good trade from their perspective. Yeah, the only thing in you know with the Brian Reynolds thing, the only question I would have with that is, what would the Pirates really want from the Dodgers, and do the Dodgers have what the Padres have? in terms of those like elite, elite prospects because they gave those two guys up in the Scherzer deal, the Scherzer and Trey Turner deal last year. So that would be my only question in terms of the Dodgers' interest and if they can get that really done. But then when you look at the Padres, I don't think it would be smart for Preller to do that type of thing if that means you're giving up C.J. Abrams or Robert the third in that. So that's where it's kind of interesting if the Dodgers or the Padres end up getting him they're going to have to give up, kind of like what we saw with that Scherzer-Turner deal. 100%. I think that's spot on, and I think you could argue the merits of doing that. I think you could make a compelling argument if you were A.J. Preller to maybe forego your future to play for right now because, you know, I mean, if you're the GM of the Padres and you've had one winning season in your eight-year tenure and it was a short year, I mean, maybe you're thinking more short, short-term then long-term, I don't know if that's better for the organization or not, to be honest with you, Ben. I, I really don't. Now, would I trade C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore at this point? No, I, I really wouldn't. I, I wouldn't want to do that. Would, would I 
consider moving Robert Hassel, who, you know, I think a lot of people are extremely high on. I mean, maybe because they play comparable positions because you're getting an outfielder under control for four years for someone that you'd have under control theoretically when they reach the big leagues for six years, because that's how the terms work. So I'd be more apt to consider Robert Hassel than some of these other guys. Maybe I would throw Luis Campusano in there as well, but I'll tell you this, the pirates are going to be fielding calls from a position of strength. They don't have to move him. They can wait as late as July or they can wait longer than that if they really wanted to. So it's not going to be easy to lure Brian Reynolds right now. Yeah. And you talk about campy. The only thing about Camposano, would they like him? Okay, yeah, maybe. But they just drafted a catcher number one overall last year. And I was talking with some fan that was replying to me on Twitter earlier today. And they were saying about how they put Camposano in the deal. But I was telling them, like I just told you, that that might not be a big fit for them. If, if they want Reynolds to be a part of their future and really be right at the core of their future, he can still be that because he still has a little bit of control. And if they want to extend him and they're really trying to contend, let's say two years down the road, they'd be willing to do that, even though they might not be willing to do it now and they're fighting over arbitration money now, but that's because they're rebuilding right now. So I mm -hmm. think it would be different circumstances a couple years down the line where it would probably be a better fit for them to have Reynolds and then their catcher instead of having Camposano to have two catchers there and then not have an out a star outfielder if you get what i'm saying there i, I do and I, I would say this i mean i, I talked to jason Mackey yesterday on the radio mm -hmm. the pirates beat writer and you know i questioned the pirates logic in moving brian reynolds and he did as well i mean i understand moving players because you aren't built to win now but when you have a player under control for four years and you're fielding calls and I mean, what, what does that really say about the state of the Padres? You have a $30 million payroll. It says nothing positive about, or excuse me, about the Pirates, not the Padres. Yeah, yeah, what does yeah. it say about them? It's, it, it says terrible things. Now, if the, if the Padres take advantage of that, great. Then, then everything is then great from a Padres perspective. If I'm the Pirates, again, you got to get a lot better to go sell moving Brian Reynolds. You're not selling moving Brian Reynolds for Chris Paddock and Ryan Weathers. And I, I, I'm, I believe Weathers has a nice upside. We'll see about Paddock. Maybe a change of scenery would help as well. I just think they would need to get a lot more than Paddock and Weathers to make a move yeah. like that. So I, I don't know if it's likely that he gets moved. And I also find it unlikely that he gets moved right now to the Padres when you think mm. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we can move to Preller. We were kind of mentioned him earlier. This offseason, I feel like you know a lot of fans were, were bummed out, including me, about mm -hmm. them not getting a left fielder. Uh, you know, a real left fielder. But with that said, you know, when you're really looking over his offseason and what he did and the areas that he did improve, what grade would you really actually give him? You know, not looking at it just from the outfield standpoint, but looking at it from the whole team as a whole standpoint. It's a really good question. I, you know, it's hard for me to say anything higher than a C, and I'd base it on Melvin. That, that's where it okay. starts. I think without Melvin, it would be lower than that, you know, at best to C minus. I like, I agree with you. I think that it's, he made improvements to his roster and he did so sensibly without any seismic shifts or without any crazy cost constraints moving forward. But the problem with me saying that, I think he did it effectively. But the only reason he was playing from that hand is because of the, the hands he had played previously. It's all right. his doing. He's been here for eight years. It's his doing. 
So, and I credit Peter Sather for spending the way they're going to spend, which is in the top five, essentially in baseball. They're going to be over $200 million when it comes to CBT. They'll probably push the 230 number, that CBT overall number. But, you know, I think Luke Voigt is the best addition, assuming his health. I think the bullpen pieces are, are, are helpful. We'll see. I think the bullpen pieces are nice. I like Nick Martinez. We'll see. Uh, Matt Beatty, I think, is helpful as, you know, a fourth or fifth type outfield player. But we're not talking about changes that are really changing the trajectory of wins and losses over the course of a year. If we're being honest, I mean, you don't acquire Luke Voigt and all of a sudden the Fangraph zip projections change you three and a half wins. I mean, it's, it's not how this works. Uh, now, if he, if he plays like he did in 2020 and he stays healthy and hits 37 home runs, you know, that, then, then maybe, yeah, Luke Voigt's the difference between getting you over the hump and not being over the hump. So, um, you know, I, I don't think – I think my issue right now with A.J. Preller is just the overall construction of the roster. It's not his offseason. It's the overall construction of the roster. Right. Now, we'll see how it plays out. It's hard to be overly critical heading into a year because we don't know how it plays out, but it just feels like the one injury to Tatis – really put a gaping hole in the entirety of the roster that is a little bit unfortunate. That's not A.J. Preller's fault that Fernando Tatis Jr. got hurt, but it is his fault for the state of this roster heading into this year if they're not able to compete with teams like the Dodgers or the Giants. And that that remains to be seen. We'll see what happens here over the next handful of months. So you said a C, right? Yeah, I mean, okay. honestly, Ben, I'd probably give a C minus. I don't think I'd go higher okay, than yeah, a C. Yeah. I wouldn't want to give a D. Yeah, somewhere in there. It's not the worst offseason in the world, but it's certainly not the best either, right? What would you say? Mine, I, I'm being a little nicer. I'd give him like a B minus because I'm taking into account, right, you, the Melvin hire. But because of the Melvin hire, he went out of the box on that, give him credit on that. But with the Melvin hire also came hiring multiple managers, that are now coaches on his staff hiring Ruben Niebla. And now you're pretty much adding Mackenzie Gore to be, if you're thinking about it, because Gore was not going to impact the team mm -hmm. the way it looks like he will at some point this year, because it looks like, you know, he's worked with Niebla. So the Niebla hiring I think is huge. So you have to add that, not just the Melvin hire. And then I get, I get what you're saying with the Luke Voigt and the whole win total really not shooting up, but he did fill that DH spot with someone that might be able to stay more healthy, only playing DH. You add Luis Garcia. I know he's gotten hurt, but you have him, Robert Suarez, for the bullpen. They did, you know, add some depth in the outfield with Beatty. I know it was just recently, but I guess I'm looking at it more of, okay, at least he filled most of the holes. Now, it wasn't – they didn't go get a big guy. They didn't go get Castellanos, didn't go get Bryant, didn't go get Suzuki. I know you love him. They didn't get any of them. But in terms of the holes, you know, I didn't even mention Alfaro, and he looks – I know it's spring training, but that looks like a better option than Caratini backup catcher-wise. And Nola doesn't stay healthy, so that might come into play. So I guess I'm just coming from the whole positional viewpoint. I don't know about you, but maybe that influences the grade more. You know what? I think it's fair. I think where I probably get influenced, and I don't know if this is fair to A.J. Preller, is I'm grading him – against Andrew Friedman and I'm grading him against the other 29 teams in baseball. And when you know, fair or unfair, and maybe this isn't, I mean, maybe this isn't a way to look at a season if you're a Padres fan, because you're going to be left a little bit unsatisfied year in and year out. If you're judging yourself against the Dodgers, I understand it. I mean, they spend like nobody else spends and they've won this division a lot over the last 10 years. But when Andrew Friedman gets uh, Freddie Freeman and Craig Kimbrell, you know, and you get, you know, uh, Matt Beatty and Luke Voigt and Nick Martinez, 
It's just a different way of attacking a problem. Now, both can be successful. We've seen teams win with savvy moves, you know, and and the Padres truthfully come at it from a position where they can spend and make savvy moves. It's not like they're going to try to win on 35 million or 65 million or 95 million. So, you know, I think I've got a tempered level of optimism heading into the year. I think it's a playoff team. I've said that a lot. Um, I don't think it's a division winning caliber roster today. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong. I think he could absolutely improve this roster. We do not know about the health of this team or the Giants or the Dodgers as the season progresses. I think it's a playoff caliber team. I think they'll get the shot in the arm from Fernando Tatis Jr. I think it'll be great when he comes back. I hope that Abrams makes the opening day roster. I think it'd be beneficial for the team. I really do. But, you know, going into the year thinking they're going to win 100 games and, and make up 20 ga- 28 games in the standings, that, that's a little much for me. I don't try to sell that level of hope. I sell an improved team with an improved manager and staff. But how much ground have they made up in this division is still to be determined. Yeah, and we can move to Tatis. Uh, do you blame the Padres or Tatis more for him being out You know, to start the season? Um, I think I have to start the blame with the player in this yeah. one. And, and I've said it publicly and I've said it on the radio and our YouTube channel. It's more like a position of just disappointment with someone in your family because like, you love him so much and you know what he means to the organization. And it's not, if anything, it's overly personal because like, it's not personal. Like you, you feel like Fernando Tatis Jr. means so much to San Diego. Forget about the baseball team. There's no football team. The team hadn't won him forever. You get to 2020. He's got this brilliant year. You know, like he just means so much to so many people and you see his brilliance. And you hate to have the caveat of he's the best player in the world when he's healthy. But that's what's happened here these first three years. I just listen. The truth at the end of the day is he's a young person. Young people don't all people make mistakes. It's, it can happen. He shouldn't be judged for making it's a mistake. And it could be a costly one for the baseball team. It could be a costly one for his 2022 season. I just wish it was addressed sooner. You know, if the injury mm-hmm. occurred and it was addressed sooner and you had additional Ben four, six, eight, ten weeks of treatment or healing, and maybe the surgery is less significant. Maybe it's not even necessary if it's treated appropriately initially. So I just I hate the timing and the circumstance. I still feel as if it could have been worse. It's still dealt with in March, not April. I still think he could be back in June, not July, on the three-month timeline, where I still think you could get more than a half season out of him. But I think I'm disappointed in Tatis, and that's just because I have such ridiculous expectations for him. I think he's one of the most brilliant players I've ever seen um, and I'm 40 years old, and I, I, you know, I've seen some great players. I've seen Tony Gwynn, and, and we've all seen some brilliant baseball players, but he's special. And But the only way to be truly special is to have a two-, three-, four-year run where he's playing a ton of baseball games, and right now it just hasn't happened. Yeah, and obviously I put it on Tatis because he's the player. He's the person that did this at the end of the day. Uh, but you also, I think, you do still have to put some accountability on those Padres doctors that reportedly did check on him and I understand that Fernando said he was fine and all that, right. but come on, we know players. It's like during the season, they're going to tell you they're fine and they'll go, they'll play through it. And maybe it was at, at the point in the off season where Fernando hadn't started lifting heavy, mm-hmm. like he was saying, or getting into that, you know, a lot of activity. But if the doctors knew that, then why didn't they check in on him when he was getting in on that activity, instead of just checking on him once he says he's fine how about you do it again and keep checking in on him? Because we know players, it, this is their life. They want to play. I mean, I think it's a very fair point, Ben. I do. Um, you know, is there some blame to go around everywhere here? And does the Padres organization deserve some of it? You know, it was this ridiculous circumstance of in the midst of the lockout, the players not in the country, 
you know, you know, there's a level of trust that goes into it. He's in year two of a 14 year deal. You know, I mean, there, there's probably a zillion events that led to it occurring in the manner in which it occurred. The lockout probably being first and foremost. I think if that didn't exist, maybe they just get him to San Diego to get treatment here and have their doctor see him in person. And I think on the other side of it, it kind of, I hate to say it, but it is what it is. You've heard me say it before on the wrap-up show and on the radio, he's got more plate appearances in the minors at this point in his career than he does in the majors, which is unbelievable because he's three years into his big league career, and this is his fourth season, and 2020 is not his fault that they only had a 60-game regular season, and he was healthy, but it's like there's going to be a point this year, Ben, where July 1st is going to roll around. You're going to say, hey, over the last three and a half years, the Padres have played, I'm making it up, you know, 500 games, you know, two 162s is 60 and an 80, whatever that math is, 400 games. And he's played how many of those? You know, and that's the unfortunate part of it. And it can still be rectified because he's 23 and he can be healthy and he can make a difference even if he's not healthy. If he comes back and hits, you know, whatever, if his OPS is 900 plus and he hits 20 home runs, you know, then we're going to forget about it. It'll be water Mm -hmm. under the bridge if he leads this team to the postseason and has success. So the book's not written on 2022 for the team or Tatis. It's just the first chapter is not the chapter you wish was being written about Tatis right now. Right. And now replacing Tatis seems like Hassan Kim is the starting shortstop. I'm more of the view that it should be a platoon with Abrams hitting against righties, Kim against lefties just to start out. And then if someone gets hot, well, then, okay, you do what's best for the team and you write it that way. But for me, I guess this is more of a question of CJ making the roster, right? Because, I mean, I've been saying on my show the last few nights, Bob Melvin talking about CJ thinking about him being a backup center fielder. Well, if he's going to be a backup center fielder, he has to be on the roster for that to happen. Hmm. And so I think that's a positive for him making the roster. And then Eggy Rosario being optioned uh, yep. yesterday, that's definitely a big, you know, starting or a big push to make him on the roster for me right now i don't know about you but it's almost like he has to make the roster because there's no one else profar is starting he's not an option in the infield Voigt is a dh to me he's not going to play middle infield chrono we're starting he's not an option mm-hmm. kim's starting he's not an option they literally don't have another middle infield option manny's at third they just don't have it's literally just and he's played well this spring i'm not saying he hasn't but it's like he has to make the roster, and it's not just because of his play. I completely agree with you. I think the only caveat is if A.J. Preller's got a card up his sleeve, right, over these final handful yeah. of days. That, and that's always a possibility, and that can happen even after the final spring training game. It happens often, actually, that someone's been with the team all camp, and all of a sudden not only are they gone, someone else comes in from you know Marlins camp you haven't even seen, all of a sudden mm-hmm. they're on the opening day roster. I mean, A.J. Preller's done it. Most teams have done it in recent years. So that that's a possibility. I think with Abrams, they wouldn't want to play games, so to speak. If they're leading him down a path, if internal conversations involve CJ Abrams on the opening day roster, I don't think they'll just pull the rug out on that final day between spring training and opening day and say, Oh, by the way, we acquired this veteran middle infielder, you know, Freddie Galvis, I'm making it up to go, mm-hmm. you know, fill this role, start in triple I think they're probably trying to be as truthful and honest as they possibly can with him. I think he should be on the team. And I like the idea of the platoon. Jim has been talking about the platoon. I kind of want to see him more often than the platoon, if I'm being honest, because I feel like with such a little seasoning, let's just see what it is. You know, what's the worst thing that happens if you give him a 14-day stretch? And I I know you're you're right. They're not going to give him 14 straight days at short. They're just not going to do it. I mean, A.J. Preller is on the record saying Hassan Kim will have the first opportunity at short. So maybe there's a platoon element there. Maybe you can get him 
some at-bats in center field once a week, the first two weeks. So a platoon plus once a week is four days a week. Uh, maybe it's more than that since he's going to be facing right-handed pitching. Um, you know, maybe he'll catch a day DHing. It doesn't make a lot of sense with Luke Voigt. But, you know, my point is I think you got to play him. You can't run into a situation where three straight days pass and he doesn't play. That doesn't serve anyone, in my opinion. But if I'm looking at ceilings, and I'm just looking at ceilings, and I got Abrams on my roster, and I got Kim on my roster. I got to see what Abrams has because I just feel like the ceiling is so good and so high. We saw Kim that last year. Maybe he's much improved. Spring has been a lot better. That's encouraging, no question about it. But I need to see what Abrams is capable of with Fernando Tatis Jr. out. Yeah, and I think what the Padres would say to that is they also want to see what Hassan Kim is too. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I look, I'm, I agree with you. CJ Abrams to the Padres future is more important than Hassan Kim. I think that's clear because he can actually be a starter in the outfield or wherever it is when Tatis comes back and just in the postseason, perhaps when they get down to that point. Um, so I think Abrams is more important, but I think they also want to see about Kim because mm-hmm. they gave him $28 million. Right. So that's part of the reason why they're handicapped a little bit now. Same, you know, with the, I know this is totally different, but with the Pomerantz injury, all of that, a lot of different contracts. And so I think they want to see Kim as well. So it's definitely an intriguing situation. I I just feel like the platoon's most likely in this situation. Yeah, you're probably right. And there are some contracts in there, and that's why guys are, yeah, Kim, if you're A.J. Preller, he needs to play. Profar, if you're A.J. Preller, he needs to play. Um, You're right. I mean, they gave real money to these players, and, I don't know if it's sink or swim. You know, I, t- I still want to look at it like at the end of the day, what's benefiting the ball club the most? You know, what's leading to more wins than losses? And if that's sitting Hassan Kim eventually, getting him seasoning at AAA eventually. And again, I don't know. Maybe he has turned a corner and he's a much better offensive player this year. But if he isn't, at what point are you willing to admit that? You know, if it's mm-hmm. if it's June 1st and he's sitting 212 with an OPS of 680, is that enough to say, you know, this isn't good enough? And someone else deserves another opportunity while Fernando Tatis Jr. is out, you know? Right. And then talking about CJ, you know, Bob mentioning that they're thinking about him, you know, playing some backup center, mentioned Will Myers before that, but didn't seem like anyone really cared about that. It was more about CJ. My question is, why the heck are they just starting this now? Like Tatis signed the, <laughs> signed the contract before last season. They, they've known this. Jake's the second baseman. You know, they – Obviously, there was no trade in the works for Hosmer. There still isn't. You know, it doesn't seem like there's any takers for that. Why have they just started this? You can talk about, you know, wanting CJ to be comfortable and all that. And I understand that. But it, it's also the minor leagues. Those games don't matter results-wise. People care about the major leagues. And if that makes the Padres better, CJ in the outfield, I just don't understand why they're just thinking about this now. It's almost as if they're caught a little bit flat-footed and they shouldn't be, and I agree with that. And it doesn't make sense, specifically this spring training, to be dealing with this. And not like this spring training was the end-all, be-all. It's not like if he had you know, six games in center this spring, you could just be like, all right, he's ready. I mean, at the end of the day, what, six games or two games or eight games or one game? I mean, he's not going to have the proper seasoning that most players would have to be playing in the outfield in the big leagues. But then again, either did Fernando Tatis Jr., and it worked out pretty well, to be fair. Again, he's a unicorn. He's a one-in-a-generation player. But I think C.J. Abrams is going to be a really good player. And I think a lot of Padres fans hope he's going to be a great player. And um, there's no question because of his athleticism, he fits 
the mold of someone that should be getting some seasoning in the outfield. Now he's coming off a significant injury and he's in big league camp and he doesn't have a lot of minor league seasoning. So like all these, my guess is all the factors going into it. They're like, yo, let's just go at it from one angle of attack. But the more the days pass and the more that AJ Preller has been unsuccessful to bolster his, his uh, outfield, the more you have to think outside the box, because the truth is, I mean, I thought Bob Melvin was super honest with it. I mean, the truth is, what are they going to do? I mean, what are they going to do if Trent Grisham has to leave a game because he's hit by a pitch or Will Myers has a knee or shoulder flare up or, I mean, a zillion things happen over the course of a season and there are moves to be made and you have a system for a reason and they could call upon anyone in AAA and make a move to their 40-man roster if, if they so choose. But it, it feels like they're flat-footed and I agree with you. It feels like at least for the last two and a half, three weeks, C.J. Abrams should have been getting more seasoning in outfield positions um, because now it looks like there's six days and it's like, is that even enough time for him to right. play any, uh, in the outfield and be ready for opening day? Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, let's stick kind of with Preller and in regards to Hosmer, what would you say on like a scale of the one to 10, how confident are you that they they'll be able to get something done, you know, with a trade by the trade deadline? Because I think that's when it has to happen because mm-hmm. of the 10 and five rights at the end of the season. Uh, not very confident, uh, to be honest. I mean, probably at best a three. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I my problem if I'm AJ Preller is I've already made this bad deal, right? I've already signed this albatross of a contract, 144 million dollars. Now only 59 million is is owed, thankfully, at this point, which isn't the 144. So he survived those four years. But now it's like I'm going to go part ways with my future to just get rid of the bad contract I signed. That's tough for a GM to do, in my opinion. Now, can you get better without Eric Cosmer? That's the question you need to ask yourself. Are the Padres better off with a lineup that includes less Eric Cosmer and more, you know, figured out? Is it Jake Cronenworth at first? Is it Abrams at second? Is it, you know, when Tatis comes back? If you're better without Hosmer, you need to swallow a little bit of the pride and you need to figure out a way to get this thing done, even if it hurts to get it done. But man, it's tough. I mean, you know, even if you just part ways, it's part of the CBT through the contract and they average it out over the four years. He's 15 million a year on your CBT through 2025. Is that right? Two, three, four, five. So it's it's, it's a significant hit. I would rather take the CBT hit and not lose the player as opposed to get CBT relief and give up on some of my system, if it makes mm-hmm. sense. And also, by the way, nobody's taking – it's not like you're just getting rid of Hosmer and Robert Hassel and some teams taking $59 million. And teams don't buy players for $59 million outside of, you know, name – you know, say a Suzuki. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Where So it's not like someone's just going to say to you and say, oh, we want Hassel. What's it going to cost? Oh, it's $50 million for Hassel? I mean, why would you buy a prospect for $50 million? It doesn't work like that right. in baseball. So – I think they're in like between a rock and a hard place with Eric Hosmer. Hence the fact that he's still on this roster to start 2022. I mean, I'll, I'll cross my fingers uh, that he gets moved, but I'm not overly optimistic. Yeah, me either. It's It feels like Preller, from all the reports, he's been really pushing for a deal and trying to shop him, him and Will. Uh, Will is easier to move, and it doesn't seem like anyone even wants him. So if anyone doesn't want him, and, and now they play different positions, but in terms of the contract, if people don't want Myers, it's really hard to convince me that someone's going to all of a sudden say, we'll take on Eric Hosmer's contract and you don't have to attach Abrams or Hassel or Gore to that. Like <laughs> I, I, that's just, I just don't see that. 
you just got to go sell as your fan base and it's your job yeah. too if you're the other gm it doesn't i don't understand the scenario where you take eric Hosmer on maybe you're kansas city you know, and, and you're selling the players coming with them and the return of a player that had a nice run. He did have a nice couple of years in Kansas City. There's no question about it. He did. I don't think he was ever a $144 million player. We've said that for years. So I never thought it was a good contract. I think you could have overpaid if it meant winning, but they haven't won. I mean, they just haven't. And if you say, well, they won in 2020, that's fine. He played 34 games or 35 games in 2020. So Again, like like all these things, the, the stories can change and the narratives can change. If Bob Melvin gets more out of Eric Hosmer, conversation changes. If Bob Melvin gets more out of the Padres and you win despite Eric Hosmer, the conversation changes. But as we sit now, coming off 79-83, just, it's just bad luck. It's just, it's just a bad overall look to have Eric Hosmer on a team that's played bad baseball down stretches a lot, and he hasn't contributed, and you're paying him a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Now, moving to Hosmer's teammates, or a couple of his teammates, Clevenger and Snell, uh, both had some really rocky first outings in spring, yeah. uh, to say the least. Clevenger, I'd, I'm not going to be as willing to overreact to that as Snell, just considering the circumstances. But before I you know, get to you, I did want to share this visual breakdown again with the audience for anyone yeah. that didn't see it yesterday, of Blake Snell and just his command, and that's part of the reason for me just why it's it's worrisome to me you know just these pitches the first inning and this is what's worrying is he he didn't adjust in the first inning in this outing you know Alfaro wants the ball middle of the plate and it ends up down and away to the leadoff mm-hmm. hitter wants it middle of the plate here to Christian Walker and ends up down and in and then that, this is all the first inning then still his third walk in the first inning wants it down the middle down and in to Matt Davidson and then he walks four. This is his fourth walk in an inning and a third. Wants it down the middle, and this time it's it misses way arm side. So my point is, with Clevenger, it seems like he knew what was going wrong. He knew that his just mechanics weren't there, and he's been working his butt off, right? He's he's the one that's been working his butt off. Was throwing, posting stuff on social media all off season of him throwing with Musgrove in Poway, where Snell has admitted that he wanted to have this ramp up and he wasn't going to be really ready for the season, the regular season. And now when you look at it, it just it's, looks like a much worse look for Snell than it does for Clevenger to have a rocky start like this. You're spot on, Ben. Um, I completely agree with your opinion. And I don't think there's any excuses for Blake Snell. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to go on our YouTube channels or your YouTube channel or my radio show and say, well, you know, it's it's spring and, it's a long year. I mean, that's BS with, with Blake Snell. Like, I won the Cy Young, and, you, and you're telling me that, uh, yeah, well, it's a work in progress. I'll ramp up in season. I'm a, I've always been a second-half pitcher. You know, what kind of mentality is that? I mean, that's not the pitcher that A.J. Preller thought he was acquiring. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think he thought he was getting someone that was capable of making 30 starts, and he didn't have to be a seven-inning pitcher. He still doesn't have to. That's fine. He could be a five-inning pitcher, but you've got to be effective from day one. Um, you know, his st- it's re- what's frustrating, the most frustrating part of Blake Snell is his stuff is so filthy. Yet, at this point in his career as a 29-year-old, he doesn't have better, I don't know if it's a feel for it or whatever it is. I, I think it's more between the years than anything else. I remember yet last year opening day, he's throwing like 99. I mean, his stuff is filthy. It's absolutely filthy. And when it's honed, it's beautiful, like like August. But the more you get into his time with the Padres, like – is he going to have a year where it's fully honed? And is it going to be 2022? Hard to fathom. Now, maybe it's five months. I, we'd all take it. If from May 1 on, the guy looks like anything like August of 2021, 
that would be a thing of beauty. What frustrates me about Snell is like you see all this potential, and it's crazy to say there's untapped potential with the Cy Young Award winner, but I think there is because there's been a lot of disappointing years where he hasn't been fully healthy, where he hasn't thrown a lot of innings. Last year was disappointing. You're, you're right on Clevenger. Clevenger, it's, it should be a work in progress. This was never going to be easy, and it's, a, it's an interesting investment, and it's one that's hard to fault because you acquire him and give up a lot in assets. You can't part ways. They had to sign him to this two-year deal. So I would have given him the $11.5 million as well, but he's got to pay off because right. if it does, you're like, man, you, you gave up assets and money for someone that gave you no real return, and it's another not great look. But I'm with you. In terms of who am I faulting for where they are today more so, Snell or Clevenger, it's not even close. And it, truth be told, it's still April 1st. There's there's a lot of baseball. There's a lot in front of us. It's only spring training. They both could have really good years. And I and I hope they do both have really good years. And, and I'm optimistic, by the way, that they do. I just don't love the, the feel of it to start the year, specifically with Snell. Yeah, it's just not a good look. Like, I'm confident. Like, in August, going yep. into September, he was amazing. And you mentioned the potential that, you know, he can still be better than, you know, what – he just needs to pitch like he was when he won that Cy Young and just be consistent. I think that's all we're really asking for, mm-hmm. you know, in August and September, right. He was th- almost, he was going no hitters through six innings and stuff yeah. like that. And I'm not asking for that. I'm sure you're not asking for that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Jim's not asking for that. I'm sure Darren's not asking. No one's asking for six shutout innings like that every time out or any time out, to be quite honest, we're asking for six, well, I mean, he's going, he's probably going to just go five. That's just what he's done yep. throughout his career. But we're just asking for one or two runs. Just be consistent and don't walk the, you know, don't walk the planet. Just be consistent. That's, I think that's all we're asking for. And that's all we're asking for, for all of these guys, just stay healthy and be consistent. And now that's, that's obviously a wait and see type thing. And it's easier said than done, obviously. But I think that's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not. You're right. We're not asking for the world. Like you said, I mean, yeah, maybe it's easier said than done. But you know, five innings, two runs, I think is a reasonable expectation for Blake Snell. What is that? A three six ERA? You know, right. um, thirty starts, five innings on average, one hundred fifty innings, three six. Better than last year, you know. Yeah. So like the fun, now is that and that is is that the pitcher they thought they were getting? No, probably not. They probably thought they were getting more like a guy that could pitch to a two nine ERA over the course of a year and probably give you more than 150 innings, if I'm being honest. But um, I think a lot of people would take 150 innings right now, that 3-5 ERA mm-hmm. from Blake Snell with, you know, 14 wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about the rotation, it's interesting, you know, the possibilities that they could go with. Uh, I think it's smartest for them to go the 1-3-5 type thing where you have your three consistent built-up starters, Darvish, Musgrove, Martinez going – uh, game one, game three, game five. Then you have Snell, Clevenger with piggybacks, Weathers, uh, Paddock. Mm-hmm. After those two guys, kind of like yep. we saw with the Snell, Paddock piggyback. I know they didn't pitch back to back because of Snell sink, sucking, frankly. But that's just <laughs> the, that's just what it's supposed to be, and I, and I like that. I think that's smart. Uh, I don't see Gore making the roster, but that's not really my question here. I would say my question is, how would you line that rotation up if you were Bob Melvin? Um, I would line it up similarly to what you just said in terms of lining it up. I mean, I, I'd split up my Darvishes and my Musgroves, more specifically because of the home opener. If I'm using a five-man okay. five rotation, I want to get Musgrove to pitch that home opener. So I'm, Darvish makes sense for the opener. Um, 
And then Musgrove makes sense for the home opener. Mm -hmm. In terms of two and four, I just don't know based on who's it doesn't matter to me if it's Snell or Clevenger. Presumably they fill those two spots based on you know where they are in rest, but I don't know if they're even built up to have both of them starting on different days, but I don't think you piggyback those specific players either. I think you're more apt to piggyback Weathers with one of them and, like you mm -hmm. said, uh, Paddock with the other. And then Nick Martinez probably slots at fifth. But if Martinez – I mean, maybe Martinez slots in second – but I, I, you know, I'm just making it up just based on where they've pitched and and right, yeah. what the days off are right now. I don't think it matters overly. And truth be told, if you pitch Snell and Clevenger back to back days, it doesn't really matter. Who cares if you pitch them back to back days or two out of every three days? You're screwed either way if they're only going in the inning in the third. You know, each of yeah. them in their first outing, and and they 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 should be better than that. I mean, Blake Snell should not go in inning in the third in his big league debut this year. Clevenger, who knows? I think that's a possibility, but Blake Snell's got to be able to get through three or four innings pretty quickly. Hopefully, Mike Clevenger pretty quickly can get through three or four innings. I'm encouraged by what I've seen from Nick Martinez. I think a five-man rotation makes a lot more sense than a six-man rotation, if I'm being honest, um, because I don't want to see less of Musgrove and Darvish. I want to see more yeah. of Musgrove and Darvish. Um, so that's how I'd, I'd slot it. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of potential with this rotation. I really do. I just think the start of the season is really curious because of how these guys aren't really built up. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, talk, a former starter, Denelson Lamette, I'm in favor of him being the closer at some point this season, but I think it would be better to ease him in and have him go how the Padres are doing it. You know, how, well, yesterday he went, you know, they had one day or one day of rest. And then he pitched after mm -hmm. his last appearance. I think that's pretty smart. I think that putting him right in the ninth inning, I don't know if that's the smartest thing to do. But with the slider that he has, the fastball, usually the two-pitch combination, that's usually what the Padres have done in the past and they like doing, you know, with those closer-type guys. Where do you see Lamette? Do you see him as being the closer eventually at some point? And do you think that should be if, – if you do think that, should that be a month in or just whenever – he feels ready and it's just just pretty much how he's feeling. I don't know what to truly think because all that really matters is his health. I would take the full 162 and he never touches the ninth inning over, mm -hmm. you know, a half year of him pitching effectively in the ninth inning. Like the, the health is all that really matters with Lamette. I think they'll probably ease him into ninth inning opportunities. There's enough adrenaline pitching in the big leagues with a lead. Um, then I think they'll use him in high leverage spots. You know, I, I think he goes into spots seventh and eighth innings with a lead as opposed to the opposite seventh and eighth innings trailing. I think he starts in high leverage spots. I think eventually, maybe because of circumstance, he'll get some ninth innings because even most, even most rubber arm closers like a Mark Melanson, someone ultimately gets some opportunities because you're not going to go what a fourth consecutive day or maybe four and five even right. or a third consecutive day. Certainly, Denelson Lamette is not going. You know, the reason you'd be it's hard to envision him just assuming the closer's role is closers pitch back-to-back -back days often and good team closers pitch three times and three days and four times and five days. That's the job. That's the responsibility. He's not that pitcher. I wouldn't ask him to be that pitcher right now. So I think he'll get some opportunities just because, and maybe he assumes it because of injury or ineffectiveness, but to start the year, as much as I'd love to see it, because his stuff is filthy when he's healthy and he looks good right now, I'd like to see it. But I think I start him in, in less high leverage spots and then see how it works out. Okay. Yeah. Th th I think that's, I think we're in agreement, Beth, definitely on that. Um, getting to the last sort of thing here. Obviously, we got a less than a week 
you know, before opening day starts. So I figured let's do some over unders, just sure. numbers, numbers that I thought of that just based on, you know, past years and all that around the Padres. I think there's some definitely some interesting ones. And so I'll get your uh, take on them and then I'll give mine. Uh, first off, we can go over under 89 and a half wins for the Padres. Under. Under? An explanation? Yeah. Okay. I yeah. mean, I, th- I think they're between 85 and 90, but, you know, I think it'll be close, I, you know, but I, I'd say 85 to 90 is my guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'd slightly go over. I, I like that they're not playing the Dodgers like early or early <laughs> on. I think that's right. an interesting thing on there. So that might help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. And then over under 120 and a half innings for Snell. He had 128.2 innings last year. Over. Over. Okay. So you're assuming that he's going to pretty much be healthy. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think he could throw. I mean, I think they need him to throw 150 innings. And I, I think he should, even with this okay. slow ramp up. That's only five innings and adding for 30 stars. I think he can throw 150 innings. Yeah. I have over as well. Uh, I think the only thing that you would think of going under is if he gets hurt and then, you know, he's really struggling like he did in spring training this last start where he's, you know, not going even nine outs to start like that's that's when you could really start thinking about under but yeah i think definitely over on that over under five war for manny this year that was his war last year Hmm. it's a good one because they need it i'll go slightly over right i mean between five and six you know i think it's hard to imagine going way over that number because that's such a ridiculous year um so i'll go over slightly over five and a half i'll say over as well i think the void edition definitely helps you know Given something behind him a little yeah. bit. I think that helps. Uh, all right. Over under 55 and a half combined home runs between Myers, Profar, mm-hmm. Beatty, and Grisham this year. They all last year combined had 54. <laughs> Beatty, Grisham, Myers. Who was the fourth? Profar. On its surface, it feels like an under to me. Um, oh, okay. On its surface, but you know what? Will Myers entering a free agent year with some money on the table? Yeah, he could hit twenty, right? He could absolutely yeah. hit twenty. So if he hits twenty, can the rest of that group hit thirty-five? Yeah, they're using humidors. Thirteen percent increase in home runs at Petco Park. I'll <laughs> right, take right. a slight over. Yeah, and what I would say to that is, I think Grisham has the opportunity to bounce back. I think the twelve home runs, twelve, I think from Profar last year, that was. Him was he wasn't like starting every day, and I'm not an advocate of him starting every day, but I think he'll play more games. Um, and so yeah, I, I tend to go over just a little bit on that. You know, my that was a good point with Myers, you know, uh entering that free agency, you know, walk year. All right, and then last one here over under 80 and a half games for Fernando. Games played. Yeah, if he missed if to- he missed if he missed three months. He'd have 84 games remaining on the regular season calendar. Man, that's tough. I mean, I, I want to say over, but even when he returns, I mean, unless you know, unless you're DHing him a ton, assuming that's he's where, getting a blow here and there, right? Um, you know what? I'll be crazy optimistic and say that. So you're saying if he came back July one, there's 84 games left, or is it before July? Three 1? months. Uh, just three months, I went through the schedule and counted every game for the first three months of the year. So I, I think, yeah. So I think I would be like July it's 1st or something. Uh, yes. Or yeah. Fourth. Something like that. Yeah. Oh, man. that That's the most interesting one. Um, 
You know what? I'll be the uh, I'll be the optimist here and say he gets back by like June 25th or July 1st and somehow finds a way to play 81 games. You know, I hope they could really use it, right? So I'll yeah. I'll I'll take the sled over, but it's more likely probably sled under. Yeah, I, it's hard. This one's the hardest one for me. Like I on my notes here, I have under because you would think that they'd want to ease him in, but then they have the DH. They need his bat in the lineup when he returns. Right. But then I also factored in like. He hasn't stayed healthy at all ever in his career yet. So you think that he didn't have the surgery with the shoulder. So it just leaves that possibility out there as well. And I don't think that when he comes back, he's just going to change the way that he plays. I know we saw a little bit last year, but in terms of diving and all that, it's, I'm sorry, when you miss that much time, he's going to want to go all out because he's going to want to try to make up for it. I feel like, so it's just hard to, be confidently say over. I mean, I want to be an optimist and say over, but I'm going to say just under just because of there's, there's multiple aspects where it's just, it's not like it's Manny that we're saying this where he stays healthy all the time, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, your point's valid. I mean, it'll hopefully be close. Listen, it's hard to complain about 79 or 83 where it's Mm -hmm. going to be easy to complain is if he only plays like 40 games this year, you know? So hopefully it's closer to 80 than 40. Right. Yeah. All right, this has been fun. Episode 140, Talking Fires podcast and YouTube show presented by Gaglion Bros, famous cheesesteaks and subs. John, thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely, Ben. I appreciate you having me. Thanks. Thanks again. Yeah, you can check him out at John Schaefer and John and Jim and his YouTube wrap-up show with Jim Russell as well.